At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is to not just entertain, but to teach and educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even though the most important piece of news today was negative, I'm talking about the gigantic shortfall from Broadcom, one of the largest semiconductor companies on Earth. The stock market didn't even seem to notice. Now, according to Broadcom, the trade war with China could cost them a couple bill. That's right, $2 billion. And yet the averages yawned. Dow only dipping 17 points, S&P backsliding 0.16%, NASDAQ declining 0.52%. Instead of freaking about the semis, we focused on the red-hot IPO of Chewy! Yes, the digital pet supply store. And more on that one later. What you need to know now is that we are in a weird moment, waiting, 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 waiting for the Fed to speak, which is Wednesday's business. Then we'll learn whether Fed Chief Jay Powell believes we need a rate cut now that the tariffs are starting to hurt commerce. We're waiting for the G20 meeting in two weeks where maybe Trump and Xi can make some progress on trade. Although it's not clear to me if either man really wants progress at this point, we're waiting to see more earnings disappointments like the one we saw from Broadcom. With that in mind, let me give you the game plan for next week when we'll find out even more about what the trade war is doing to American business. On Monday, United Technologies gives you a brief from the Paris Air Show. And you have have to wonder if they'll tell us a little more about why this merger with Raytheon makes sense, as shareholders have been fleeing from the stock since the news broke. Now, I think the deal is a bit confusing. And for most investors, confusion means sell. That said, I believe there's real worth to the stock of United Technologies ahead of its upcoming breakup into an elevator company, a climate control carrier company, and an aerospace and defense company that looks fantastic. Raytheon would beef up the ladder huge, but if it fails to pass antitrust muster, you can still win by owning United Technologies for the breakup alone. I bet CEO Greg Hayes tells a darn good story. I think he'll address the issues facing Boeing, too. Tuesday, another one that gets knocked around all the time. GE. It's G's turn to talk. Now, according to GE nemesis Steve Tuso over at JP Morgan, you should be suspicious of GE hyping its own growth strategy here, talking about taking share. I have to tell you that I think CEO Larry Culp has been staying away from hype ever since they brought him in to run the company. Now, GE's been stuck around $10 for months. Their aerospace business is the crown jewel. I think they're going to have a lot of orders. I bet the stock could go higher, but it will not be because Culp hypes it. It'll be because the numbers are better. We hear from one of my absolute favorite companies on Tuesday night, and that is Adobe. Well, you guys all know that. You know I'm fond for this for this crowd, uh, cloud king. I expect Shantanu Narayan, the visionary CEO, will deliver his usual excellent results. But the question is, will people care? I mean, that's a different story. We've seen many of the cloud kings lay eggs, the kinds that don't hatch after they're poured. Of course, if Adobe gets hit after a good number, I want you to buy it. On Wednesday, Jay Powell will hold that press conference, his meeting, open market. I expect he'll talk about the need to stay vigilant and monitor the economy, which is Fed speaks for. We'll cut rates if things get really bad. I think Powell may want to have more info than he currently has at his disposal before he takes action. Hey, I, that, that's OK. I, I get that. Expressing vigilance should be enough to keep the bulls happy. Wednesday night, we hear from Oracle, and this tech stock has quietly been moving up. It's up 18% for the year, even as there's always seemed to be some critics uh, like, who are out saying that the business 
isn't as strong and they're losing share to Salesforce or Workday. Now, I'm not that particularly enamored of the stock, but at less than 15 times earnings next year, it is hard to dislike Oracle ahead of the quarter. Now, Thursday's a jam-packed day, and it's, I find it's going to be an exciting one. We've got Kroger, we've got Darden, and can it be growth? Kroger's been struggling against Walmart, which has gotten really aggressive with food. Against Amazon, obviously, that's Whole Foods, but much more than that. And Costco, they've done really well with food. Now, Target is really revitalized. They're all gunning for Kroger. These companies all have lower cost structures, and they want to carve up Kroger like a turkey. Same with uh, Aldi and Little. It's, those are the two German companies that are vying for a lot of shares. It's tough to be in the grocery business these days, people. I'm glad I'm not in it. Kroger's been spending a lot of money trying to localize the stores. But this is a new world, and they can't seem to get any traction. Maybe this time will be different. I've got my eyes open. How about number two, Darden, parent company of, Gar- of Olive Garden, which I view as the best-run restaurant chain in America for the value of it. I'm betting that the amazing CEO, Gene Lee, uh, chosen by Starboard, by the way, will be able to tell a good story about Cheddar's Scratch Kitchen. That's a chain they purchased for $780 million a little over two years ago. This acquisition has left Wall Street scratching its collective head. But if Lee can explain why it made sense and maybe we see a little bit of a pickup, well, then Darden's going to get its mojo back in the meantime. The stock's been pretty good anyway. Then there's Canopy Growth. Now, you've seen them on our show numerous times. That's the Canadian cannabis kingpin. They've got all that money, $4 billion from Constellation Brands, which owns, of course, Modelo and Corono in America. CEO Bruce Litton here always has a terrific story to tell. He's really been keen on talking about the medicinal and recreational benefits of marijuana. Still, I think this is another stock that will be range-bound until Canopy starts capitalizing on the medical side, especially because the outgoing FDA chairman, Scott Gottlieb, he was openly critical of the benefits of medical marijuana when he came on our network not that long ago. Hey, I pressed the uh, I, I pressed the fellow from Chewy today about whether they should be doing CBD uh, dog food. They're not there yet either. I don't know. People got to get on the case. Speaking of medicine, Merck holds its analyst day on Thursday. I expect to be dazzled by the success of Keytruder. That is the miraculous anti-cancer drug that's been taking share from the competition for years now. I've been a big fan of Merck, and I bet they do a good job, uh, good enough job, actually, that their chief rival, Bristol Myers, will see its stock get hit. So let me give you my advice here. I'm doing a little trading strategy. You buy Merck stock ahead of the meeting, particularly if it gets hit because of the Fed conference. Then you take the trade off. You ring the register on on Merck and you take the proceeds and then you buy Bristol Myers. If Bristol Myers stock goes down, as I think it will. Why? Because Bristol Myers is merging with Celgene. And once that happens, the the analysts will have to raise numbers dramatically. Bristol Myers is the one to buy Thursday. Tyson Foods will give us a look at how its business is doing. Now, hopefully, the meat and poultry titan will explain their strategy on plant-based nuggets and blended meats. Lots of short sellers are betting that Tyson can knock down Beyond Meat after this analyst meeting. Simplistic! There's room enough for both of them in the faux meat space. If the shorts press their bet against Beyond Meat, I think it will turn out to be a major mistake. Now, we all know the auto industry is struggling, right? But we can't say the same about the used car business because used cars are on fire. And that's why I think on Friday... CarMax will deliver yet another strong quarter. There's a lot to like here, especially now that long-term interest rates have come down, making it cheaper for people to get financing. It's really the short-term rates, if they come down, they'll explode in value. If I mean, This stock will. If the Fed cuts short-term interest rates, wow, CarMax may be a good stock to buy. We'll also be watching a whole bunch of IPOs next week, but the big one is Slack. That's the collaboration software unicorn, which will go for what's known as a direct listing. No traditional IPO. You saw that, by the way, for Spotify. I can't get too excited about it, but so many of these newly minted stocks have been working that I want you to keep Slack on your radar screen. Bottom line, the most important thing to watch next week is Twitter. We're watching for a president who slags China regularly. Well, I think he's got a point 
The stock market hates it. So be prepared to use any trade war inspired weakness as a buying opportunity, particularly on that strategy that I suggested on the buy Merck, sell Merck, Bob Bristol Mars. That's my plan for the week. I'm going to start with Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy, and helping me out. Oh, man, good to talk to you. What's up? Hey, I'm thinking about adding a new sector to my holdings, and it's for the dividend income, CVS Health Corporation. Huge position for my chapel trust, bought a ton of it right down here, totally believe. I think this judge has got, judge is trying to figure out whether to break the deal up. It's really killing the stock. Get that over, get that overhang over with, and we're uh, going to be up. But until then, I think it's going to mark a time. Let's go to Kenny in my home state of New Jersey. Kenny! Thank you. I love your show. Love your adrenaline. Thank you, Quick Kenny. question. I went ahead and I bought two weeks ago Foot Locker at $41 a share. The only thing that concerns me is Nike's direct-to-consumer initiative will accept Foot Locker of its most exciting and profitable sneakers. Well, you know, uh, you but you put that one on your own, sir, because I got to tell you, that was a miserable conference call and not great last quarter. And I, I, I did find myself confused. And I have to tell you, I do prefer Nike to Foot Locker. A lot of people join a Foot Locker because it's just come down a lot. I don't like anything more. Nothing more. I don't like fossil fuel. And I don't like more. Hey, what can I tell you? These are my predilections. I expect the opportunity to present itself next week, okay? I remember I gave you that trade, the Merck Bristol trade. Uh, you got to pick up the names of the work. I'm going to help you out. On Man Money Tonight, it's a different kind of software, but uh, hardware, but innovation has kept this brand in the lap of luxury. Should you furnish your portfolio with R8, the artist formerly known as Restoration Hardware, Eckers massive move higher this week. I'm pulling up a chair with the CEO. Then it's raining cats and dogs on Wall Street today as Chewy made its public debut. I'm chewing over the action. And I'm talking to CEO Centene, fresh off his is investor day. I suggest you stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. Some companies are such great operators that they deserve the benefit of the doubt, even in the face of incredibly challenging circumstances. And that's the lesson of Kramer Fave RH. That's the high-end home furnishings chain formerly known as Restoration Hardware, which shot the lights out when reported two days ago. Here's a stock that investors have somehow pretty much given up on because RH sources so much of its merchandise from China, and they seem resigned to being caught in the tariff crossfire. At least that's what people thought. But then this week, the company reported fabulous beat and raised quarter. Even better, management took aggressive action to adapt to the tariffs. They're not just sitting there let it happen, striking some new deals with suppliers, selectively raising some prices, and moving some of their sourcing outside of China. That including coming to the U.S. And that's why the stock exploded higher yesterday. I bet it's got much more room to run, especially with this most incredible buyback I have ever seen. So let's check in with Gary Freeman. He's the bankable chairman and CEO of RH. Find out more about the quarter where his company's headed. Mr. Freeman, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Gary. Good to see you, Jim. How are you? Gary, I got to tell you. you. Um, 
What a tour de force conference call. I mean, you really just put to rest a lot of people's worries, as you said you would. Uh, and you, put, you have now bought back 60% of the stock to this period. I think you still think the stock's undervalued, don't you? Uh, we, we think it's massively undervalued. So, uh, yeah, uh, if, you, if you really look at our, our earnings and um, think about the multiple this, this company should have, uh, um, you know, I mean, today we, we believe the stock should be worth $200 a share. But, uh, you know, I think people you know, continue to misunderstand us. Uh, uh, we're building stores that are unlike anything being built in retail today. Um, you know, we've taken on some debt. We kind of almost did a uh, vertically integrated private equity buyback right. of our company. Uh, and, um, you know, people are confused about the model because they think retail uh, is under attack, you know, right. by Amazon and others. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're really playing in a different level and disrupting a different part of the market. Well, why just, for instance, the unbelievable store, uh, the, the meatpacking district? Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, it is a breathtaking experience, as you know, because I went there with my daughter. And you said at the beginning of the call that you were comfortably, comfortably in excess of $100 million in one store? That's, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, we think it's going to at least be $100 million in its first year. Uh, and if we get approval, and if anybody's watching that, uh, um, that's, that's our customers in New York that want to come help us at the next city council meeting uh, get approval to serve food outdoors on the roof, we think that the store will be in excess of $120 million. Now, you also talked about something that I was concerned about, and I said at the time, which was the China tariffs. As good as China may be as a manufacturer, that you felt this time you had to take some action. Tell me about how that went, because you can't be at the mercy of anybody. Uh, No, you you can't, but uh, you you also can't be overreactive to kind of short-term noise, right? Okay. And you have to stay on your long-term narrative. And, and for us, it's, it's uh, you know, all about having the right goods manufactured at the right quality level uh, and uh, presented in the right way at the right value. Um, and being overly reactive and moving sourcing around in, in kind of product categ- categories like ours can present massively more risk. But and you did bring some back to America. Oh, well, we, we've had... Uh, well, you've had yeah, we, 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 we buy products in America. We manufacture some of our own products in America. We have, uh, you know, a manufacturing facility in North Carolina. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just always improvising and iterating and, and looking for opportunities. So, um, but, but look, it, it, the China tariff situation could be settled next week, and everybody could have spent a lot of time and energy and distraction. The fact is... The Chinese government and the Chinese factories, they're motivated for a good outcome. Right. Okay. The U.S. is motivated for a good outcome. I, you know, balancing trade is a good thing. I, you know, I don't, I don't mind some of this short-term chaos because I think the, the long-term outcome for the U.S. is going to be a good one. Okay. Now, in the conference call, you talked about how linked you were to the stock market. Uh, and it made me feel like, well, one, obviously things came roaring back because the stock market came back. It might be good to be more linked around the world so you're less U.S. stock market oriented. And that could be in the cards, right? Oh, it, absolutely. For, for one, almost any business is, today is going to be linked to the stock market because of the massive amount of wealth that is tied in on multiple levels. So, uh, you know, w- when you look at our, our fourth quarter and uh, we, we brought down guidance because there was a disruption, and the market fell 18% in December. Worst December in the history of the stock market. The market's come back to, to 20, you know, the Dow's back to 26,000, uh, and people are surprised, well, like, your business is back. Well, 
Right. No, no kidding. So the- <laughs> what's that element in the call? There's a kind of like a naivete, sorry, yeah. about some of the people about, trying to understand your business. I understand your business. I was like, hey, the market's back up. This is going to be great. Yeah, it's, you know, it, I mean, that's it, you our, said our this economy. Stuff. Is, this is not new. Look, well, why do you think the, the president's tweeting about interest rates and the Fed and, and so on and so forth? Uh, you know, you know, a lot of times the, the Fed waits until a recession starts to right, lower interest right. rates. And if they, they move more quickly, I think the market's going to do better and we're going to do better. But, but really, the, the, you know, the global view for our business is, is just beginning. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about the luxury end of the market, like we, we've said, we, we comfortably think we can be four to five billion in North America. Uh, and that's just completing our real estate transformation uh, and, you know, our, our merchandising strategies right. today. Uh, if you look at the, the luxury end and, and think about the global marketplace, a lot of times they say inside our company, sometimes we, we're like dumb Americans. We, we, we only see what we see. And it's like an Ayas Nin quote that we, we, we like to say is we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So we see the U.S. market. People with a global view see it very differently. LVMH, Kirin, you know, Hermes, Chanel, only 25% of their business is in the U.S. market. There's, there's, three quarters of it outside the U.S. market. So we think long term, this could be a 10 to 20 billion dollar company. But at the same time, you're still opening some new ones. You talk about a little delay in some of the new ones at Bethlehem. The way, uh, which one? Oh. Delay in some of the newer ones. You've got two more coming, right? That are Oh, yeah. Yeah. In San Francisco at the Bethlehem, historic Bethlehem steel building in, in San Francisco, the whole waterfront's being redeveloped. It'll become it's the gonna meat, be, it's gonna be fantastic, yeah, right? meatpacking district in San Francisco. And we have a beautiful historic building that will be amazing with a rooftop and integrated hospitality. Um, and then we're, look, we're on our way. I'm going to finish filming here. I'm with my team and we're flying over to Europe and we're going to 10 different cities and uh, we think we'll be global very soon. Okay. I, I often, I think, don't, this is not an insult because listen to what I'm I'm going. used to insults. No, listen. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> there are a lot of very wealthy people that go to Costco. Mm-hmm. They do. You get the card, you get a membership. My wife swears by the fact as being a member of our age, she thinks the stuff is very inexpensive as a member. Yeah. So it's not like, I mean, you, sometimes you have the reputation of, of everything being too expensive, but if you're a member, it is clearly not the case, particularly for instance, the beach collection that my wife buys. Yeah, well, clearly, and I think your, your, your wife, uh, yeah, she ought to be on the show with us too well, here. I said it sounds like I a real, real advocate. I did, I did, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, it's really, look, at the end of the day, it comes down to value, right? right? It's, it's not That's really about point. price, it's, right. it's about value, and you know, no different with you know, if you look at what Tesla is doing and, and you, you look at the all-in value of the vehicles they're creating, the, the vehicles are more expensive. But when you look at the all-in value, they're really not. But there's no, there's no RH stuff in a landfill. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we, you know, we're building timeless product that right. we think will last generations. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you, look, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I knew that you'd fig- figure it out. I was astonished that people didn't see the correlation between that December. It's just impossible yeah. for anyone in your shoes to be able to take, you know, just wipe out what happened to the market. Yeah. But the market came back. Well, and listen, in December, our, our earnings were up 78% net income, right? And so, you know, 70, 76%. And in the first quarter... 48%. In the, in the fourth quarter, it was 78% net, net income growth. It blew away the industry, and the stock oh. went down 25%. Ridiculous. Reverse it, it goes up 25%. So you can't uh, get distracted by the short-term noise. You have to stay focused on your long-term narrative, Five and that's what we say. Dollars. Yeah, uh, well... Maybe 10 or 20 billion. Well, let's, we're, you know, after this well, trip. We, we get the five, we're great. <laughs> All right, that's Gary Friedman. He's founder, chairman, and CEO of RH. 
I got to tell you, it was a magnificent quarter. And by the way, a fantastic conference call. They have money's back gift. Right. This IPO market just doesn't know when to quit. I figured Wall Street's appetite for new deals would dry up after the, that Uber deal came public with a whimper. But the underwriters keep finding these small companies with turbocharged growth rates, and the market laps them up, makes them into not small companies once they get it going. Just look at Chewy, C-H-W-Y for you home gamers. The one-stop online pet shop that was spun off by PetSmart today. The deal priced above the high end of the range at 22 bucks. Then the darn thing exploded higher, opening at 36, then climbing all the way to 41 and change before pulling back. And it will be closer at uh, 35. Still, if you got in on the IPO, Chewy's giving you a magnificent 59% gain. All right, how the heck does that even happen? What made Chewy so attractive to investors? And more important, could the stock potentially have more room to run? I wouldn't chase the stock at these levels necessarily, but the company's doing a lot of things right. It might be worth putting on your shopping list if you're willing to be patient and wait for a pullback. Although I understand if you can't wait, because we've had these second and third days that have been pretty good for the hot ones. The reason's pretty simple. Chewy's got a great formula. Let me break it down for you. First, there, as we know, anyone who watches this show, the humanization of pets theory, something we've been talking about for years here in Real Money. Americans increasingly treat their, their uh, companion animals like members of the family, which means we spend more and more and more on their food and health care. Hey, this is one of my favorite uh, secular growth themes. You remember the, the dogs start in the basement, then they go to your room, and then you're in your bed. Next thing you know, they got your spot. But the pet-related retail market is a dinosaur. It's a highly fragmented industry that may be, let's say, 15 years behind the rest of retail in terms of technology. As of 2017, e-commerce only accounted for 14% of the pet food and pet supplies market. It was 4% in 2015. These numbers have been growing like crazy as the pet space catches up to the rest of retail. Chewy expects that online penetration will reach 25% by 2022. And you know what? I think it actually may be a conservative forecast. Historically, people get their pet supplies from the grocery store or superstores or feed stores. For some reason, the Internet didn't take this business by storm, at least not until now. Chewy has got it all figured out, though. They're like the Amazon of pets. Fitting! The CEO comes from Amazon. He was a big executive there with a broad selection of high-quality products at competitive prices. More importantly, Chewy makes the whole process convenient. Two-thirds of their customers are signed up for an auto-ship subscription program. It's the easiest way to get pet food. The company now has seven fulfillment centers spread across the United States, allowing them to offer cost-effective overnight shipping to 80% of America with two-day shipping for nearly the entire country. And the CEO told me today that sometimes they're priced through Amazon when it comes to delivery. However, the real differentiator for these guys is the customer service. People keep shopping at brick-and-mortar pet stores because they want to make sure that they're giving their cats and dogs the right food. And sometimes that means you need to actually talk to another human. So Chewy has almost 10,000 team members who are on call 24-7, 365 days a year. They're well-trained, incredibly friendly, and they can give you the kind of advice that you'd normally only be able to get from a high-quality pet store. I know they're the real deal because when I tweeted about Chewy yesterday, they sent me these paintings, okay? First, of NVIDIA, all right? I think a bad day because of Broadcom, you know what I mean? And then of Marley, who's the dumbest animal alive. He ate our banisters. 
He had a banister. Imagine. Uh, and people responded with their own incredible stories. They, they sent 40,000 of these out, okay? It sounds like every time a customer's dog dies, Chewy's sending flowers and expressing their condolences with a beautiful handwritten note. They don't make you pay for the food for that month. I don't even know what to say to that. It's genuinely heartwarming. Uh, and, and Chewy, guys, I just got the report back from NVIDIA. That lump on his leg is not cancerous. Made the day. This morning on Squawk on the Street, we got a chance to ask Summit Singh, uh, he, he's the CEO of Chewy, about his customer-centric vision. Take a look. We have 90% re-ups. We have two-thirds of our revenue that comes from Autoship, our subscription program. And our customers, our customers love engaging with us. Summit's right. I mean, if you look at my Twitter feed, you just see these over and over and over again. I, now, there was a negative story about a dog who ate a snake, and everyone was mad about that, but forget about that and focus on this, okay? That formula is clearly working. Chewy didn't even exist 10 years ago. The company was founded in 2011 as a way to sell dog food online to raise money for animal shelters, and we favor those too, right? These guys are both from kill, from kill shelters, all right? Then Chewy's uh, sales took off, and now they're the dominant online pet store. The growth has been stratospheric, with net sales rising from $26 million in 2012 to $3.5 Billion last year, and two thirds of those sales are from that subscription business that I told you they keep re-upping on. Ninety percent of the people do renew. Now, once someone starts shopping on Chewy, they tend to stick with them. It, it's just fabulous retention. Now we know digital beats brick and mortar, and Chewy, Chewy has got digital figured out. Well, again, the CEO Sumit is from Amazon. He's got it figured out like Amazon. Now, that's how the company can deliver such excellent numbers, which is the main reason why Wall Street went crazy for the stock. In the first quarter, Chewy's revenue growth came in at 45%. And while that represents a bit of a deceleration from the 68% figure from last year, the company's up against the law of large numbers. While Chewy's not yet profitable, as they've been investing too much in growing the business, like Amazon, their margins keep rising, which is amazing. At this point, it's easy to see how they generate positive earnings. That said, free cash flow is in the negative territory for now. But other than that, the financials, I really like them. If Chewy were an own independent entity, I think I'd be willing to recommend the stock even up here right now, right here after today's mammoth run. Unfortunately, it's not independent, and that's the fly in the ointment. In 2017, Chewy was acquired by PetSmart, and they still have a controlling interest in the company. There are two problems with PetSmart. One, it's got a hideous balance sheet, and two, it's in the thrall of a private equity firm called BC Partners. Luckily, Chewy isn't on the hook for PetSmart's debts, but it's still a company that may not be in control of its own fate. While the convoluted ownership structure isn't a deal-breaker for me, and I did bring it up this morning on Squawk of the Street, I never like it when there's a private equity firm lurking that could crush the stock simply by ringing the register on its gigantic position. So where do I come down on this one? I totally understand why investors are losing their minds over Chewy. I mean, who wouldn't? Do you know when NVIDIA's 12 now? Jensen, Jensen one gave it. He has an IT card to get into NVIDIA anytime he wants. I put it on his neck. It's a fantastic company, even if it's not perfect. But the stock has run so much today, I wish we could have gotten a bit of a pullback to a slightly more reasonable level. What is reasonable? What constitutes that? Okay, its current price, Chewy, has a market capitalization of nearly $14 billion. That means the stock is trading at 3.9 times last year's sales. We know Chewy grew at 45% clip in the first quarter, but let's be conservative and assume that this slows down to 35% for the full year. That seems reasonable. In that case, the stock's selling at 2.9 times this year's sales estimates. And you know what? And you know what? I mean, that actually strikes me as pretty reasonable valuation, which means the underwriters really lowballed this deal. Look, it's Stitch Fix, the subscription-based online apparel play. It's got a substantially slower growth rate than Chewy, 29%, and it trades at two times sales. I think Chewy deserves to trade at a premium, but just not this much of a premium. And say if the stock would come down, say, to like 
31.30. It would be trading at around 2.5 times their back of the envelope sales estimate. And those are the levels where I think that you buy the stock. Until then, though, maybe you keep your bat on the shoulder, be patient. Oh, and don't listen to anyone who tries to dismiss the company as a second company at Pets.com. That was a failure during the uh, old dot-com days. It is so much better than that. And that's just that is just unfair. The bottom line, even after today's magnificent run, Chewy isn't all that expensive. Companies got a great growth story, and they have legions of, legions of uh, loyal customers. Still, I hate to chase, which is why I think you should wait for Chewy to pull back, say, to $30 for you to pull the trigger. That said, I can understand why any satisfied Chewy customer might want to put some away right here, right now, because they love the company that much. Uh, my, I'm channeling in my own Bill Griffith here. And get the, and this, by the way, oh, man, is that heavy. Uh, have we named this pet yet? Yes, we're going to name that pet. Well, we're thinking Chewy, maybe. This is Chewy, okay? Um, may Chewy have a long life um, in that particular fishbowl with that ornament. Okay, uh, let's, have, let's speak to Mary Beth in Michigan. Mary Beth. Yes, Jim. Hello. Hello, Thank Mary Thank you for Beth. taking my call. Of course. My husband and I have watched you for years, and we are grateful for the information you share and all the wisdom you have about the stock market. Thank you. And I also want to give a shout-out to your superb staff. They are so um, great in making you feel comfortable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I know. I'd be uh, incredible. Incredible. My stock is PetQ. It was an IPO in 2017, and it was featured on one of your shows back in August or early September 2018. Right. I bought it for my seven-year-old grandson so that he'd have a stock he could understand what the company did. My concern is now it's having some ongoing security claims by many different law firms. So I'm wondering if it's still a hold or sell. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to suggest, and this is, and I've looked at this company. I, I don't like those law, the law for investigations, but that's not necessarily a reason to get rid of it. I think you swap out of that and you get into Chewy. That's how great I feel about this Chewy. And we're switching to Chewy. I, I told my wife we have to switch to Chewy because it isn't like anybody else has given us pictures of uh, Marley and NVIDIA. I think this, I think Chewy is the real deal. Right? It's got a great formula, this Chewy. Even after today's run, the IPO isn't all that expensive. Sure, I'd like you to wait for the pullback and pull the trigger, but when you get when you get a company with a soul, maybe you just go buy something. Right, much more made money ahead. Medicare for all has quickly become one of the top policy issues for the 2020 presidential race in the Democratic Party. What does the CEO of Centene have to say about it? I've got the exclusive. Then I'll say it. Worldcom's earnings were downright depressing. I'm breaking down the numbers. And lawyer calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Look, it's a tough time to own the managed care stocks. Jeez, I mean, right now, Wall Street's still terrified about what might happen to the health insurance industry if one of the Democratic candidates who went single-payer managed to win the White House. Take Centene. That's the big health plan provider for all sorts of government-sponsored programs, from Medicare and Medicaid to the Obamacare exchanges. The stock has been pummeled. It's ridiculous. It doesn't help that Centene announced they're buying WellCare for $17 billion back in March. It's a deal that'll make them the undisputed king of government-sponsored health plans. I think it's a great idea. However, suddenly people are leery of the whole managed care space. And it doesn't help that Dan Loeb, as the infamous or famous activist investor, has been trying to shoot down the deal. 
He wanted Centene to put itself up for sale instead, but it doesn't look like he's going to get his way. So can this stock turn itself around? It's down about 7% for the year. Let's take a closer look with Michael Nidorf. He's the president, chairman, and CEO of Centene, St. Louis-based, who just held his June investor meeting earlier today. Mr. Nidorf, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Well, there you go. Congratulations Thank are you. in order. One of the more exciting years for um, certainly your first your first Stanley That's Cup. right. We, we played Boston 49 years ago in the finals. Well, looks like that. So it was it our turn. Took 49 years. <laughs> but welcome back. Fantastic. <laughs> and congratulations. All right. So give us the gist about the, uh, uh, the analyst day because you had a lot to cover. This industry is more controversial than it's been in a long time. We, we spend a lot of our time talking about the systems, the capability, how we have, we're modernizing what managed care does. We are clearly a tech company that has moved to, in healthcare. Right. And we showed them all the systems, the ecosystem we have, that really manages the care, improves outcomes, but at the same time, better, better quality, lower cost. And we took them through all those details. Now, to, you, you would, uh, the company you're trying to buy, while a good company, I think does not have the same, uh, let's say, artificial intelligence that you guys have about what outcomes are. So that could be very, very positive for the it's two. It's going to be real positive. When we move them to our systems, it's going to be, it's going to be very helpful for the total company. Now, there are, uh, you know, Dan Loeb is in there. And look, everyone has a right to an opinion about what should happen. I personally thought, I was trying to figure out why anyone, a rationale, and I asked Dan, I sent him an email, didn't get a response. The rationale to be able to, for you to put yourself up for sale, given the fact that you've been one of the better performers in the group. Well, he should be smarter than that. He knows, he knows that we, we have an agreement, he probably read it, that said I can't talk to him if I wanted to. Okay, I mean, that's, that's part of it. But this, it makes no sense. These are individuals, and I understand, and they, and they can be good investors right, at times. Right. And there's some companies, they really help get things squared away. But they're event purchasers or investors. Event purchasers. Event, like yeah, well, they're doing that for United Technologies, too, yeah. you know, the great yeah, they, 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 they go in, they do it. They hope that if, if they could get that transaction going where somebody else buys it, they get a quick hit of 10 20% and move on. That's not the case here, and uh, it's, now, it's now long past that, I think. I've often tried to figure out, we always hear about the skyrocketing healthcare costs, skyrocketing health costs. Are they not looking at your model? Your model, to me, has said that healthcare costs are actually under control, or maybe going lower. One and a half to two percent a year, and, and better outcomes. It's, it's really working. On the marketplace, 80% of the people renew every year. Uh, we're in 32 states. You know, it's like I invest, I told the investors today, it's like yourselves. You have a portfolio. Sometimes we have a state that has some trouble, but that's okay. We have 31 others that help carry well, it. Well, I mean, did you it. give any, any, anything about, say, what you've done with Fidelis, which is it was a very good outfit, but I think, them. again, lacked your skill sets. That's right. We, we showed that today. We showed how the integrations on these companies go very well. And right. Fidelis, they, they, it's been incredible. I told once, I said to somebody, if I could find more Fidelis's, I'd do one in the morning and one in the afternoon. That's great. All right, now, on Thursday, President uh, Trump has been, he, he's been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes about health care, and he's got these, uh, these health care reimbursement arrangements that he's talking about, which you know, you're talking about an HRA, basically. It's like the IRA. Make sense to you? No. 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 I mean, it, it does for it, some. Does Naomi, it maybe? Does, it does, but not for our population. All right, tell me. Okay, our population is subsidized. 
Right. Why should they take some less benefit? They don't know how to manage the care. They're right. not, they don't have the experience. We're, we're using the marketplace to teach people how to use insurance. Right. Okay? We're teaching them a fish instead of giving them a fish. We want to move them from Medicaid to the marketplace. Right. So it takes that process to get them there. You give them an HRA, some people it's great for, but you have to know what you're doing. Okay, when I hear the HRA, I mean, obviously, the employers get to just like a copay for employers. Yeah. The thing I think of is, well, is this just another thing that is going to be used against the Republicans by some of the more um, Medicare for all Democrats saying, look, the, the, these guys are just once again, it's a limited number of people who are being helped. You know, Medicare for all answers the questions where they don't seem to ever really question how much it would cost. Yeah, I was going to say, have you seen the lowest number over 10 years is $25 trillion. trillion. The high end is $38 trillion. Well, I mean... Yeah, the total budget for 10 years is $58 trillion. But in this new world, Michael, it, people, there's an alternative fact. It, world that we have in politics where you can just say, you know, by the time we get there, we'll have solved this and it'll cost $5 yeah, trillion. That's right. Well, that's, that's, it's a nice concept. What they're All saying right. is, we'll do away with the insurance companies. The money we save there will help pay for it. Now, government really is much more efficient than private in an enterprise. It's not going to work. Not I, I've not met anybody that believes it has any hope of being done. The only way single-payer works is they withhold services. Right. And Americans are not going to accept it. Okay, let's leave it at that because I think that's absolutely true. That's been my view forever. doesn't make sense. It won't work. It won't. It's too utopian. Okay, there's Michael Nyroff. He's the president, chairman, and CEO of Centene. Yeah, sure, we'd love to have great health care for all, but I prefer to have health care insurance for as many as we can. That money's back in It is time! It's time for the night round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate that time for the light round, because I'm gonna start with Krista in California. Krista! Booyah! Booyah! Bash at ya! Hi, Jim. I wanted to know about ResMed. I bought stock a long time ago, and I forgot about it, and it's really done well. I believe in McFarrell. I know the stock had a hiccup. That was a buying opportunity. This is a good situation. Let's go to Dan in Nevada. Dan! Hey, Jim. Booyah to you. This is Dan from Las Vegas. My ticker is GPOR Golf Course. No, we so, know so, 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 weak so, so. fossil fuel is even worse than a good fossil fuel. Let's go to Alex in Florida, Alex. Hey, booyah, Kramer. How are oh, you? I am doing well. How about you? Good, good. Okay, I, my thoughts are on JD. Uh, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, and I want to know what your thoughts are on, on JD. For well, I mean, I, I appreciate that you're from Jax. I think that's terrific, but that does not make the JD situation a good one. Yes, Jim, thank you for everything you do for the home gamer like myself. My question is on Nucor. Is this thing ever going to be able to get out of its own way? Okay, if you want to own a steel stock, it is the one to own. Otherwise, I've got to tell you, it's at nine times earnings, which is really unbelievably low. But value is not working this morning, and that's the problem. Value doesn't matter. Let's go to Shanti in California. Shanti! Hi, Jim. Nice to be on your show. Thank you. Happy to have you on the show. 
I'm a fan of your show and the tweets. Oh, thank Except you. the snake and the dog thing the today. The snake, <laughs> it, it wasn't my, you know, that it was, I was not the guy in the picture. I just thought it was, you know, whatever. John, Jen is a good dog. Right. Jen is a good dog. Bring that up. Okay. Hey, my, my question is on Wells Fargo. Uh, they're close to their yearly low. They're looking for a new CEO. And then there's some uh, news on the uh, divestures. What are your thoughts? I, I, can't count, I cannot count and then selling it all the way down here. I think it's a mistake. And thank you. Janice, okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs> It's important to get this caught in your tooth when you're doing TV. I want to get a bear trap here. You know, one of those that goes like... Oh, God, Jim, please don't open the sausage. Please don't open the sausage. Sorry, sausage gets opened. This thing is fourth personified. Got me? They couldn't take the pain. Exactly. Whoa, this stuff's slippery. Wow, look at this. This thing is really starting to come together here. You know, it's kind of like Play-Doh, except for it tastes a little more like Play-Doh. Let's see if I can hit the dog. Darn it! There you go! Did Broadcom CEO Hock Tan misjudge the resolve of the President of the United States yet again? Last night, Broadcom reported a distinctly suboptimal quarter where Tan locked $2 billion off his full-year revenue forecast, bringing it down to $22.5 billion. Why? Because of a slowdown in chip sales, largely caused by the trade war. And because of the president's decision to blacklist Huawei, the Chinese telco giant, with $100 billion in sales. I just don't think Broadcom really saw all this coming. Tan didn't recognize that the president doesn't care about the trade deficit. He, he, he cares about containing Chinese technological military might. If you want to understand the trade war, stop thinking about trade and start thinking of a much more milder version so far of the Cold War. What makes this so brutal for Broadcom is that it's the second time they've misjudged the Trump White House. In late 2017, the company launched a $130 billion hostile takeover bid for Qualcomm, which would have given them an enormous amount of content in practically every cell phone on Earth. At the time, Qualcomm was ridiculously undervalued because of its long legal battle with Apple over fees. The idea was that Tam would buy Qualcomm and then settle the dispute with Tim Cook Mano Mano. If he'd pulled it off, Broadcom would have made a fortune. We know that Tam met with President Trump shortly before he launched his takeover bid. He even told the president that he'd move Broadcom's headquarters from Singapore back to the U.S., create 20,000 jobs. He probably thought he was in Trump's good graces. But not long after, the president came out against the Broadcom-Qualcomm tie-up because of national security concerns brought up by the Committee on Foreign Investment, CFIUS, we call it. I still think the administration made a mistake here. Broadcom's an American company. It only moved to Singapore for tax purposes. Still, it was a brutal defeat for a man who's used to getting his way. The Qualcomm deal fell apart and Broadcom moved on. Now, once again, Hock Tan's company is in the crosshairs because the president wants to crack down on China. Of course, I don't know what else Broadcom could actually have done to get out of harm's way here. China's an enormous market for them. Huawei's a huge customer. What 
have been foolish for them to just walk away from the business. However, I get the sense that the company simply wasn't prepared for the president to keep escalating the trade war. Or maybe he believed that the president's misguided and will come to a senses when he hears all the complaints from businesses that have lately beseeched Trump to come to the peace table. Of, and I got to tell you, I think it's a silly position to take. I, I got to wonder how many times these executives can keep making the same mistake. At this point, if you're a CEO and you don't think the president will follow through with his crackdown on China, you're just fooling yourself. Remember, Trump wants Huawei stopped. He thinks this company is a thief. He thinks they've been stealing technology from all over the world. And there's no compromise with that kind of behavior. I think there's ample evidence to say he is right. So companies like Broadcom simply can't afford to do business with them anymore. Hopefully, Hocktan finally gets it. Otherwise, Broadcom might have more downside as it adjusts to the new world of an intransigent president who's not going to bend over backwards anymore to help them make money at the expense of American interests. Hate him or like him, Trump's been consistent on China. Change your ways, or this market could be off limits to you. And if you aid China or put a lot of people to work there, don't look to him for any favors. Stick with Craig. I really didn't cover today that was the lead story in the journal was something about Facebook and it's something you have to watch for because it wasn't negative. Yes, see, Facebook is working on a currency, a cryptocurrency that can be used around the globe, all right? They talked about some very powerful partners. The one that caught my attention was PayPal. PayPal is run by Dan Schulman, and Dan Schulman has spent many times on our show talking about the need for privacy, talking about the uh, value of the customer, talking about not violating any rules, the exact opposite of the ethos of Facebook. But Dan Schulman and PayPal are involved in this idea of Facebook. Maybe there's a sea change coming, people. Maybe Facebook is going to go back to the light side. And today's big rally in the face was a lot of negativity in tech, including a half percent drop to NASDAQ could be the signal that Facebook is bottom. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee and some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.